welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Welcome to Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. This is episode 46. Hey, it's Chris Dancy. I'm here with... Troy Dumoulin. How you doing, Mr. Dancy, today? Doing very well, doing very well. Everybody loves, loves, loves the Standard and Case episode. Still getting feedback on that. It's always fun to see how it gets shared through the community. You know, it's different. People have... People like different. We've had a lot of conversation on ITSM. It's been around for dog's age, right? But this concept of combining case management and standard process... Yeah, it was unique, and I applaud Rob for bringing that book to market. That's great. So, you know, as we talked about last time, we had three shows. Uh, You should have, by now, everyone's heard episode 45. If you haven't, you can go back and check out 45. This show, we're doing a reversey, and then we got one more show coming up with Gary Case. We're going to go back to the future, so to say. Uh, But we did service-based costing last time. You know, know, I was was impressed by how interested you got into the money side of it. You must be the, are you the guy (laughs) at home that kind of takes care of your finances? No, but uh, a little Christy fact, when I went to college, I went for accounting. Okay, there's some hidden truth there. I didn't know about that. That makes sense to me. Yeah, so I have no traditional educated IT background. I'm traditionally educated in accounting. So last week we brought out the accounting geek in you is what you're saying. Yes, but I don't tell many people because, like, I don't know. It's like that hidden thing you don't want people to know. (laughs) Your dark secret (laughs) of accounting. I did. I just loved cost-based, you know, uh, service-based costing. I don't know. So, I mean, and I'm also looking forward to the show with Gary, episode 47, which is next, because I like the idea of going back to, you know, Back to our roots, back to Help Us 101. This show, though, we're going to do something we've only done, I think, once. But it was an experiment last year where we did practitioner radio reversing. Yes, I get to ask the questions today, and you had to prepare. <laughs> so I like yeah. this. We could do this more often. Yes, people don't understand that Troy does all the work for practitioner radio. I just show up and ask him questions. So reversey, for those of you who didn't check out last year, is the concept where we have a topic like we normally do, but instead of me kind of exploring Troy's head and him helping me understand something, I kind of come to Troy with my thoughts and opinions on a topic. It can be old or can be new, and we just kind of flip the tables. It sounds just like practitioner radio, but... Uh, you get to be the smart guy, and I get to be the, the smart Alec. You get mad <laughs> when I say that about you, so you shouldn't say that about me. Absolutely. So today, we're covering what, Troy? All right, so today, we are going to talk about big data and its implications on IT service management, or if there are any, and I believe there are. So, you know, big data is a trendy topic, and you know, trendy topics kind of get hits on the uh, practitioner radio, so it's good. But my question to you, Chris, is big data really a new thing? Because, uh, you know, I've, under different terms and different names, I can think of a different conversation I had 10 years ago uh, under data warehousing and just unstructured data sources and configuration management systems. But now it's all about big data. So how would you define big data? Is it different? I don't think it's big different at all. I think it's completely marketing. I think, like anything, the awareness of it by the general public or not hyper smart people like like you were and, and and data people were ten years ago is is what's made it kind of seem like a new thing, you know the fact that you know you can read the term big data in a national magazine where you know you would have never seen that term ten years ago is what makes it seem big. But I agree with you, it's not big, uh, but our our awareness of it is what's big. 
I think the need has become more prevalent because, you know, we talk about organizational silos and all these silos have defined their own data sources over time and they all have their own bespoke applications and unstructured data or databases with totally different structures. So the reality of trying to correlate all this information into kind of some sense that makes decision-making possible, how do you even go about that? Like, what are your thoughts around that? Well, that's what I think is interesting because, you know, as IT folks, I mean, that's what we've been doing for like 30 years, right? We've been looking at databases and, uh, and merging them together and doing select statements. And basically, if you've ever looked at most of the ticket management systems I ever built were just forms in a software that pulled in disparate data from all these different systems and displayed it in one form. Yeah, there are tools that actually just lay on top of tools just to do that. Yeah, so, I mean, I can't think of, like, the, you know, one of the things I you know like to remind people, especially IT service management people, or, I can't think of another group of people who are more suited for this. I mean, we've been doing this forever. Uh, I just think we've never really kind of thought about it. And I've created some, I don't want to say a maturity model, but I've created some layers for us to start to get our heads around it. But for me, this became really personal about two years ago when I started quantifying much of my personal data and really became a business focus for me when I looked at how my personal data related to my business data. So it's one thing to have practitioner radio scheduled. It's another thing to know how well did I sleep before I got up for practitioner radio which is very kind of, maybe people wouldn't see a relationship, but there are lots of relationships. So I think you're poking at the concept of systems thinking, right? Everything yep. is related to everything else. There yep. is, it's, it's, we live in a world of cause and effect. Yep. Uh, how you slept last night and or didn't basically impacts the way you deliver and operate today. What we decide over here is a certain procurement, you know, preference impacts something over there. Yep. But, but how do you even understand the context? How do you bring that context together between your quantified personal life and and the ITSM or business side of your world? Well, I look at everything. I have a, a slide that I created last year. It's the kid from the sixth sense you know, when he says to Bruce Willis, I see dead people. I, I took that slide and just added the text, you know, I see data. And for me, I look at all data as either big data or little data. And where they meet is really the contextual side of it. So big data would just be the systems-style thinking or what I call a quantified existence. So the relationship to everything, to everything. Uh, you know, God is in the service desk numbers, right? You know, it's literally the element is there. Little data is really just all the minutia data, you know. So how loud is my voice right now? And we can see that, you know, if we're using something like GarageBand, the decibels and that sort of thing. But to get started, I think we need to really understand where data is coming from and, and really what that data is. And you know, a lot of systems in the organization create data on their own. There's logs that you can uh, look at. There's the interactions that those systems have with other systems. Um, and then you've got this entire frame of thinking around application performance management and customer experience management. Well, application performance management and customer experience management are nothing more than analyzing the data and transactions between people and machines, people and people, machines and machines. So that's really where the core of my belief system and my thoughts come from on this. Wouldn't you say, though, that there's a, there's a maturity in the context of just being aware or wanting to be aware? Because like you mentioned a minute ago, we spend a lot of our time focused down on the minutia because our specific role in life or task we've been given says do this one thing in a context of, you know, task specialization. But how many people are really awake to the awareness and or the desire to know more context? Like, how does that even occur? I think we have to be kind and slow down when we look at our professional lives and know that, 
you know, for a lot of us, we've been doing this, you know, we're in our 40s, our 50s, our 60s. We've been doing this for, you know, decades. So, you know, we can't automatically expect each other or ourselves to be hyper aware when it comes to these types of issues. There are things we probably always have thought about. There's always that person in the meeting goes, yes, but if we just knew this, or if we just looked at this and this. But I do see, and I think this is why it's so important and why it's why I think it's being talked about so much in the media. I do see this as a skill. I mean, um, I can't remember what university it was last week, but we'll put it in the show notes. You know, just announced a uh, data analytics uh, online course for 60000 You have to have an advanced degree to even sign up for it. But it's interesting because I think people are slowly becoming aware. You know, Tim Ferriss in his book, The 4-Hour Body, said, you know, just the awareness of what you do to your body sometimes is enough and more often than not, actually, enough for a catalyst of change. So he makes the example of just take a picture of every single food. You don't have to do anything with the photo. Just take a photo of everything you eat for three days and then look at it. That sounds pretty. Uh, that sounds like getting on the scale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is something I don't want to know. <laughs> I'd rather not yeah. understand the details. But you, you mentioned skill, though. Is is there something to that? Is is it? Is there a specific kind of persona, skill, personal kind of? Uh, I don't know, culture and or personality type that would that would be interested in big data versus others. You know, the one thing I've learned from Practitioner Radio from all the years we've been doing this is there are different types of people. And what I'm starting to believe, it's not really somebody's intelligence or skill level, it's their capacity to learn. And I think, you know, there's definitely a capacity and a propensity for, for someone to, to want to understand contextual relationships of data. I'm going to try to avoid saying big data because I think it's really, you know, big data for big data's sake is just a buzzy thing. But to understand contextually the relationships between things, I do think there's a propensity for that. I think we did a episode on learning styles, you and I, mm-hmm. and you were talking about how uh, an example of you and your family and gaming, whereas I'm not a big gamer, but I love to watch people play games because I like to watch them play the game. Whereas, you know, so I think it might be a, a mindset when it comes to learning style and that learning style might lead to it, but I'd have to ask you. <laughs> well, I don't le- remember learning it. style, but I think even Myers-Briggs concepts right around personality, mm. like, we think about intuitors versus sensors in the context of the Myers-Briggs model. Some people see the forest and they want to look at the forest and they, and they, and they can envision new forests from the forest that they, they have in their reference model. Some people look down at the weeds and sense pieces and kind of reposition the pieces. You know, so there's this, I think there are certain personalities just just care more about context personalities and i do think that pattern watching is is obvious i think it's a human nature thing i mean obviously as you know as people who you know were cave people at some point uh you know or even if you just go back to 1700s we knew okay we didn't have weathermen but we knew okay there's a big storm i can smell something in the air so we learned patterns so our minds are kind of predisposed to being wired that way but i think some people uh, I, I when I worked for ServiceNow, I had this corny title of Director of Enterprise Apophenia. <laughs> I love that title, by the way. Thank you, thank you. A lot of people thought it was funny, but you know, I, I was really into it back then. And that was what are the data patterns? Because if you look up Apophenia, that's the concept, right? Seeing the numbers, seeing the patterns. What are the patterns that we would see now? 
let's just be real clear. There is, you can over pattern watch and that's when you get into confirmation bias. So I think you're a pattern watcher. I mean, you wouldn't have had that title in that role if you weren't. You wouldn't be in, you know, talking about the quantified person if you if you weren't looking for patterns, a, a systemic context. Mm, I like that. And I, and I think your skill is actually quite unique and bringing this back to, you know, the ITSM context, I think there's a different skill for a problem analyst within problem management and the service desk analyst. I think there's a different skill there. Yeah, um, completely. I mean, so often we talk about, you know, I remember it was just HDI yesterday or someone released some type of survey, right? Or, you know, you know, old skills are back in vogue, so soft skills and all these other types of things. And I thought, I don't think any sk- I don't think skills really kind of go out of vogue. They just kind of, you know, they're like tools in a toolbox. You, know, it's, you only have a need for it sometimes and sometimes not. So, Well, that service desk professional needs to be very people-oriented. I mean, they're the softer people, hopefully, in an organization. The best ones are anyway. Right. And the most data you can ever collect in a system is, is, a, is a biological system. And I think if you're a good service desk person, listening for cues often tell you more about a person's issue than the actual words they use. So they react to the, to the spontaneous relationship conversation and they track sometimes unwillingly, the data of the activity after the fact or, you know, while it's happening. Right, and I think in some ways we call that culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, how fast did someone speak? How, how, how short were they? Or how pleasant were they? You know, when I was on a service desk going way back, there used to be people who'd call who, Troy, I promise you, they had no problem. They just wanted to talk. Whereas I talked to a service desk professional the other day. Her name is Erin. Uh, I won't go any further because I don't want to give her away. And She's in the Southwest. Uh, and... And she said, you know, and I said to her, can I ask you a question about your job? She said, sure. I said, do people ever call you up just to chat? She said, no. Why would they do that? I'm like, okay. And I said, well, when people call you or are they, you know, are they nice to you most of the time? She said, almost across the board, people always call. They're in a hurry and they have no time for chit chat. Uh, or it's literally like, boom, fix this now. Whereas when I was on the help desk, right? Talking about patterns. I'd have some people who just wanted to chat. I'd have some people who call just because they think they know something more than I did. So they'd want to like spar with me intellectually. I'd have some people who just needed something. Like there was a range of feedback. When I look at today, I I don't know, but I would love to see a survey that, you know, are the interactions shorter, more terse, with a different pitch, with a different voice style, you know, we can go on all that later. <laughs> well, I, I have a, I have a belief that you know, culture comes from the top, right? So tone at the top, and uh, it depends on who the leadership of that service desk is. Mm. I wouldn't put a good data analysis person in a service desk role, and I wouldn't ask a service desk person to actually do data analysis. Yeah, because I, I don't, I couldn't do well. It's a struggle for me to be present with you and listen to your voice <laughs> and, 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 and hear what you're saying and make a, a relationship connection to our conversation because I'm constantly looking for patterns. So to your point, I would not be good. Now, I think I do a good job at it because I practice being present now. And that is key. <laughs> you, you mentioned something a minute ago I'm intrigued by, which is a maturity model for big data. Can you elaborate on that? What does that look like? Sure. So what I wanted to do is I thought you and I could take a trip through a self-service call. <laughs> okay. And, and look at the data around it. Um, but to kind of set the stage for that, I kind of wanted to cover off on kind of collecting data for a help desk because I think, uh, or a service desk, because I think if you look at an enterprise organization, you know, we talk about uh, system to system data, people to system data, people to people data. But I think if you really 
drive it down even further and look at where we're at today. So none of the things we're going to talk about in this maturity model are futuristic. They're all things you could do today. We just don't often or we don't at all. And I think if we broke things into five categories, so applications, services, devices, sensors, and people. Okay. Those are the five things that all can interact with each other. An application can be on the computer, can be on your phone. A service isn't an application. So a service in my context is something uh, similar to a regular service that you would define as service management, but it can be something like Dropbox. So it's a file, it's a storage service. So where there's an application for it, it's really not an application. It's a service that you have a relationship with. How often do you save files, etc. If you think about just files themselves, they're always last open, last uh, created on, last modified. Show me the file I open most. Right? <laughs> you know, there's a relationship uh, data element there. Devices, a lot of devices in our lives, and there could be even more. Right? So, what are the relationships we have those? Sensors are kind of a big deal. But, you know, we're just seeing more and more of these. And then people. Human computer interaction uh, is really the the science of this. So, if you're ever interested in how this works, there's some great pieces online. And if you look up HCI, uh, there's a great uh, organization called the Interaction Design website uh, or Interaction Design or, uh, Organization. And, and I like to say it's anthropology meets sociology. So, how do we use tools and how do tools use us? But let's walk through the maturity model and, and get this out of the way. So. And let's just pretend it's today, and we're going to log a self-service ticket, Troy. What do you know as a help desk tech, tech when you look at, or service desk tech, when you look at that request that just came in via self-service? What do you know? I know what I can derive from the written request, and it may or may not be within the context of you know words that I understand. So I, I try to derive the core issue. I try to derive what is broken or what is requested. Um, I try to understand the timing requirements of this, and I may need more information if it's not really well spelled out. Okay, so let's, let's, you're really smart, so let's go even simpler. Do you know who sent it in? Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming that there's a ID attached to this thing. Right. All right. right. So yeah, let's, just, let's go with like most of the systems you and I have seen, right? So yeah, we know who sent it in. What do we know about them? We know if I have a contact system, what part of the organization they're yep. part of, what geographic location they might be calling from, yep. uh, what job role they may have yep. in the organization. Then if I have even more sophistication, I'll understand the sophistication of that relative to you know, the company's objectives. And most of that comes from like a directory system like AD or NDS. I don't even know if Novell directory systems are still used. Uh, but most of those things come from directory systems. Um, uh, so we know a lot about the person from that directory system. We know a lot about their, their issue, like you said, some words we might not understand. And a lot of those choices are made by us when we design those self-service forms. Um, we know the date and time they submitted their issue. Yeah. And a little bit of math will tell us how long it's been since the issue came in. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else we know? Well, you know, we might understand the emotion behind the request. Well, yeah. Based on how they've worded their request, their issue. So we can, we can use a little bit of intuition to read between the lines, right? That can be dangerous, but that's an actual thing we so actually do. If, it, if it's all in caps, we probably have a pretty good understanding of how they feel at the moment. Yeah. So that's, that alone... 
is enough data to keep someone busy for the next 20 years without even going to big data, right? I mean, we've been, that's, and that's really all the systems we employ when we, when we take in a, a self service ticket. So what can we ascertain from that? So what I did was I just put some examples. Now, you know, I probably should take time and write out like this at a much deeper level, but I was hurrying trying to get ready for practice radio. But from level one, if, if now if I'm an analyst, right, and I'm like, I can see what percentage of calls come through in a certain category. That's, you know, that's always one of the, how many calls do you get for this category? I can see what percentage of calls come in via the self-service web portal versus self-service maybe on a mobile device. And I don't know if most people even go that far, but that would be interesting, right? Well, these, these are basically service desk metrics. They're activity metrics to give us a sense of volume, right? We understand where our stuff is coming from and how many we're getting. And volume is good, but when we want to go to the next level on the service desk, we actually have to define or rely on the categorization we created, right? And we're dependent on the fact that people use that categorization in a consistent manner because garbage in, garbage out. And we make no contextual relationship between their ability to use the the garbage in, garbage out and who they are. So we already have a slightly broken system in my opinion, but I always thought this way and that's why, you know, some of my earliest work I ever did when I presented at Pink and HDI and other things were on self-service because I thought, how can we, you know, this doesn't have to be this difficult. But, you know, so I just put at level one, percentage of calls coming in via self-service over other types. We know that. Uh, what types of calls get logged, so categorization. And then what time of day do we get calls? What days do we get them? So I'm just thinking about if I went back and I was to start working on a service desk, what the reports would look like. In essence, this is data to manage a service desk and to manage it well or better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's focused on the service desk itself. So what I did was I extrapolated that and said, how could we make this better? So level 1.5, and I don't know why, I should have made it level 2, but I didn't. Level 1.5 would be like, uh, start to understand the relationship between the information that was given to us and the person. So like you said, using the Active Directory or the directory services, how many calls come in from one department over another? I found in organizations where I did this back before I left the day-to-day world of doing practitioner work, um, what there was a huge correlation that certain departments were heavy self-service users and certain departments weren't, which told me a lot about what you said earlier. Chris, you were really interested in financial information last week. Well, you didn't know that I was a financial person. No. Right? So it's interesting when we looked, you know, does finance use self-service more often than admins? Do uh, HR use it more often than marketing? Does marketing use it more often than other IT people. That can help you, I think, understand some really interesting glimmers of culture and, and, and sociology. Another thing I used to love, you know, when I did, when I designed self-service systems was the active directory told me about who the employees, but and also sometimes if I asked them to put it on the form, tell me when the employee start date was. Because I found that there's great information, both in responding to a call and understanding who uses self-service by how long they've been employed at the company. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a balance here about how much information you ask them to input and how much you get through other systems, right? Because I think there's a diminishing return. You start requesting too much, I start getting angry and frustrated and kind of say the heck with it. Well, yeah, I'm just thinking we pull it in from Active Directory or an HR system so we kind of know how. And again, this is the data analysis side, right? So this might not be something we see on the forum, but I know as me as a tech, I used to want to see it because, you know, I'd want to know if someone had been there 30 years and they've probably talked to 100 different help desk people versus someone who just started today. And I think it's sometimes 
that can help us change the way we deliver information, maybe a little bit. Well, it's tailoring your approach, right, to the services you're getting. So you're using context to tailor your services. Completely. I think that's really the key to all of this. So that's 1.5. Okay, I got it. Yeah, level two starts to get into kind of some more of the minutia of user behavior. So think of application performance management and customer experience management. So what type of browsers you self-service? I've always thought that one of the coolest things a a SaaS-based or a company could do is release the browser stats. Do people who use IEs have more issues just generally? Do they report more problems than people who use Chrome? Because uh, I think there's a sociology aspect to the type of browser and operating system you're using and your relationship to self-service in the organization. Well, I definitely think there's some some geek factor <laughs> related to what you're using, right? If you're just, everything is standard and stock, you're probably not very interested in tech. If you've got all the, the latest and trendy stuff, you probably have some self-sufficiency there. Right. And, and why couldn't that be an alert on the screen as me receiving the call, just like I'd have any other warning, you know? was not happy with the last survey that they took, you know? This person's an Uber geek, right? Based on their, you know, software and OS and how often they call the service desk and what OS they're using, walk lightly. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be patronizing. (laughs) Right. And this is data we have. We just choose not to use that. Because we don't have the time. We just move on to the next. Yep. But we are worried about culture and, you know, making people happy and why don't they want to use IT more? You know, it's always interesting, you know, where we put our time. Level two is really, you know, I talked about um, uh, location earlier, uh, but location active directory is sometimes good, but as you so rightly pointed out, that's where we think they are. Level three really takes us into kind of their relationship to other systems. So what projects are they currently working on? So tying into the project management system. Or do they have any open HR issues, whether they be actual HR requests or like any a disagreement or a problem with the company or, or, or some other type of dispute? Life issues, we don't need the details, but they can help us tailor our response and tailor how we handle the call or how carefully we speak to someone. You know, someone who's just returning from maternity leave, uh, you don't need to wish them, you know, say, hey, how's your baby? But you do need to understand that, you know, moms sometimes, have, you know, when they first come back from maternity leave, they go, you know, they miss their, their children and they, you know, they have all these thoughts. So I think there's a fine line where you start to, to look at the other systems in an organization and how they can augment self-service. Well, actually, does big data ever get into the concept of privacy violation? I'm starting to get uncomfortable with the the level of knowledge you might have in context about me. Well, if we think about the organization, so I mean, yeah, privacy is one of the topics people always talk about when they talk about little data. I mean, I've never heard in the context. I mean, obviously, the media likes to talk about privacy and big data because, you know, Google in Germany can't take pictures of houses and all that other kind of thing. But when you think about the organization, the organization knows a lot about you. They just don't share it amongst the teams. I mean, it's the ultimate silos, right? But I want to go into we're nothing but data because that gets creepy. (laughs) I think there are some privacy implications, but I think there doesn't have to be. You can use that data anonymously in such a way that it's helpful. What's that movie where they they have the scene where the guy's walking in and all the screens are now focused on him and his body. Minority report. Minority report, that's right. So basically we're talking about big data is is contextualizing everything about what's being delivered to you based on all different factors of knowledge and pieces of information. Right. 
And empowering big data is about your relationship to that. Which means the systems have to have correlation and there has to be patterns that have been automated for identification. Exactly. Automation and, and pattern for pattern recognition is key. Very good. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. That's very good, Troy. So, um, also, level three, what applications was someone using before they hit self-service? What were they using after self-service? Uh, but but we can also have the concept of level three of simple geofencing, right? So the concept of where are you physically? Where are you? Are you on the first floor at this address or are you on the second floor? If you're on the second floor, did you know that what you're requesting is you start to type printer, it shows you a list of printers near you, right? So geofencing, you know, the so time, date, location, and elevation of someone starts to be very, very interesting in assisting them proactively. And from a data point of view, people on the second floor have more problems than people on the 21st floor, right, who are all men. Service catalog needs to understand both all this context and even geofencing, as you put it, because the services for a global organization for Manila may not be the same ones that are presented in San Francisco. So you, you have to understand the context of this to actually know where the entitlement is. Exactly. And if you look at, you know, my where you know my personal history, where I work now and, and the very first product I worked on, uh, and I won't say any names, but you'll see geofencing in there. <laughs> because that was really important to me from a service catalog and from a service delivery standpoint that you knew systems knew where you were and gave you things close to you. So uh, I just think that's just, it's something so simple we could do now. I often say, I wish our, our service test systems were as smart as our phones. Yeah, there's an app for that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, your phone knows so much, which kind of takes us to level four, right? So phones today, uh, Android phones uh, by Samsung, actually have temperature monitors. So why wouldn't you, if you could, log the temperature of the room when the ticket was taken? Why? Oh, yeah, I know it gets creepy. Yeah, it's getting really creepy. It's getting really creepy. But you know, if someone if someone's working in a, in a room that's warmer uh, than a room that's cooler, we can start to understand optimal temperatures to keep the call call volume down. We got some cranky users in the, over that building A. So turn the lower the <laughs> yes, turn the air conditioning up proactively. <laughs> yeah, exactly, proactively make the temperature cooler, right? It's going to be Christmas season starts the day after Thanksgiving, make the rooms a little cooler. These are just things, the humidity in the room, right, is something else. Um, I think the relationship between, you know, how long someone was on the phone and when they actually start to open and log an issue on, on the ticket. Did they just get off the phone? Did they pick up the phone after they log a ticket? And then proximity gets into level four, which is different than geofencing. So how close are you to other people? Are you in a cube? Are you completely alone? Is there no other people around you that you work with? So proximity is, while like while similar to a physical location, is much different because proximity really gets into your relationship to other people and their interests. Well, you need to know that if you're going to give them, a, you know, give them a support a second tier support agent to speak to. You have to kind of figure out who is the local forward deploy person they need to speak to, etc. Right, and um, we'll do level five, six, and seven real quick because we're at the top of the hour, but. Level five is when we start getting into little data. So if a, if a uh, employee wants to opt in any of their quantified self, so what is their heart rate when they log a ticket? When they press the keys on their keyboard or on their phone, how hard are they pressing them? 
what is their eye movement. So using things like leap emotion came out yesterday. So using things like hand gestures, how much were they moving their hands or head was moving when they logged a ticket. Level six gets a little bit more. So how much did that person sleep the night before? What is their blood glucose when they log a ticket? We're crossing the line now. <laughs> I know we are. I know we are. Um, uh, and then level seven really gets into really deep levels of, you know, what is their DNA makeup? So how much Cro-Magnum man are they? Uh, that sort of thing. And these are all, again, these are all information tools available today that anyone uh, can use. I'm not, you know, 23andMe is a data site. You know, having an open API call to 23andMe would tell me what percentage Cro-Magnum you are when you log your ticket. So, you know, while outside of the bounds of actual rationality that someone would do at a service organization, they could. What what limit to, of context can you really go to? There is no theoretical limit. It's just what's practical and what you know what's advisable. Yeah. Um, you know, but the first thing you have to do is care about this context. And again, I, I submit to you, most of us are so focused down in our little silos with the one thing we've been given to do that very few people, you know, are given the time and day and effort and maybe even have the skill and or aptitude and or you know pattern matching ability to even want to look at context. So it's a, I think it's a rare breed that we need to identify because it's necessary and it needs to be someone's job. Yeah, yeah. And I think it will be. I think we're going to see, you know, as more things get automated, I think for IT folks, we're going to need to look at other ways we can optimize services. And this pattern matching skill is probably a great place to start. Okay, well, wow. You've taken us right to the uh, half hour and a little bit beyond. Of course, I've been more lenient because usually this is where you cut me off. <laughs> I know. I, was so, I kept thinking he's going to cut me off before I get to level seven. I wouldn't do that to you. But you know what time it is, Chris. I've got my umbrella. Oh, do you want me to do my own? <laughs> you do it so well, but let me see here. All right. It's Chris's Thunderbolt tip of the day. Oh, my goodness. That was great. ITV professionals need to put aside KPIs, displays, metrics, best practices, and look at the transactions and relationships in their environments. Observation of any data element over time yields an awareness that will irrefutably lead an organization into darkness or light. These relationships fundamentally tell a story of the organization's health and will help uh, light a path toward a better understanding of the true culture behind the neon lights of reports, slogans, and communication plans. IT management professionals are uniquely qualified for observing the disparate systems, creating value. At this core is the big data opportunity of the next 10 years. Well, that was a paper in a tip, but very, very astute. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me do a reverse That was fun, Chris. We'll have to do that again. All right. See you next week, Charles. Take care.